Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I love my Child Whisper Podcast. Thanks for joining me today, whether you're listening live or to the recording. I'm your host, Carol Tuttle. I'm the author of the best-selling book, The Child Whisperer. If you want to raise happy, successful, and cooperative children, you are in the right place today. Thank you for joining me. I won't be taking live callers today, but I look forward to being able to talk to you next week. So if you want to call in, plan on next week. Today's topic, um, how do I answer tough question my kids ask me? And this topic was formed from a question I recently received uh, from a type 1 mom. And she writes, I'm a type 1 mom and my type 2 secondary 4 9-year-old is starting to ask questions about a few things. When is it a good time to talk to your children about the truth of Santa Claus? How do you tell them while honoring their type? So just a little heads up. If you've got children around listening to this, you may want to censor it and listen to it privately um, so that you may can manage this situation as you choose to in your family. You know, I I had an interesting experience with uh, a few years back. My oldest grandson is a type four. He's seven. And at least two, maybe three years ago, he was um, real direct, and, and he, he just said to his mom, Mom, there is no Santa. Santa's not real. And she wasn't going to lie to him. Um, the way Jenny chose to handle that wasn't necessarily to try and convince him otherwise. I mean, I've heard from other type 4 adults who have had some healing they've needed to do because they felt really, you know, lied to as kids about some of these things. So rather than try and convince him otherwise, she tried to teach him about the idea of Santa. The the um the Santa is represents what that represents this time of year because their focus is wanting to be more of a religious, spiritual reference anyway. So they're not going to overly hype up Santa Claus anyway, just for the fact they want the priority to be focused on the, uh, the reason we celebrate 
Christmas particularly, for those of you that are Christian that are listening, they want the emphasis to be on Christ, not Santa. So that that to her wasn't um, too big of a sacrifice to maybe reduce Santa's position (laughs) to not have to be front and center. But now he's able to celebrate that and have believe in the experience of the season that I think he's pretty much clear on the fact that there's different people dressed up as Santa Claus. But he sell it, he's able to still be a child and and be a part of it all and have fun with it without getting too logical about it, I should say, for his age. So they have, you know, they're just creating balance. And so why, you might ask yourself, why is it important that your children are completely convinced that Santa's real? I don't know if that's even necessary. I know with our kids, it wasn't, we didn't try and make it more than it was. It was just, they evolved into knowing that there really is there isn't a Santa Claus, but they had fun with the experience of it and how we handled it in our gift giving was, yeah, I wasn't going to give Santa all the credit for goodness sakes. I did most of the work, so I wasn't going to pass it off. That he And it didn't, you know, in my practical approach to life, it didn't make sense when, uh, well, we've got all these gifts under the tree and how is it possible that Santa Claus could even, you know, they're already here before he showed up. So what we did was there were the bulk of the gifts that our children received were from us and maybe a um, collection of various other family members. And we would then put out one thing, a couple things. My husband and I would stay up late Christmas Eve and we would set up the gifts from Santa that were not wrapped So those were just set in the room by the tree without any wrapping on it. And I overdid it for some of the years where it wasn't necessary to have as much as we did. I would scale it back now and just have one item maybe per child that was representative of the gift from Santa Claus. And, you know, I'm more inclined to not... um, favor the side of making it more than it needs to be. I like what my daughter did to handle it, the idea, the celebration, the experience, the story of Santa, and not trying to make it seem more than that. So that would be my feedback to you. I would I would choose that now as a parent if that were if I were in the position that you are of teaching this um, particular experience. And then another great question, I'm a type 2 mom and my type 4 six-year-old daughter is asking questions that are getting us very close to a sex talk. So far I have gotten away with telling her very little and only answering what she asked. For example, the other day she asked me if she could have a baby right now and I told her that she couldn't and that babies only come when a mommy and daddy are married. This is our value system. It felt like I was leaving a lot of details out, but I don't think she's ready for the details. What age should I tell her about the birds and the bees, and how do you recommend going about it? Thank you. The first thing I recommend is you get versed on the actual um, language of anatomy 
and that you're not using slang words or reverence slang phrases um, that you really study. I, I love, I've recommended a book on, especially for the female anatomy, um, the, I have a blog post on it and my producer will do a great job following up and it will be in the link in the copy below this recorded podcast as she will search that out and make it readily available. So I thank her for that. But the um, anatomy of arousal is the basic name of the book, but it very clearly teaches the physiology. And I, I recommend that you know the language so that it's just more matter of um, put so much tension and um, you want to get really comfortable with talking about it, really matter of fact about it, just like you would talk about if you were teaching her about her teeth and her tonsils or her rib, you know, other parts of her of a body that as you evolve into that more in-depth conversation, which I don't think you need to at six, I think you're correct in knowing this is where the spirit and the influence of heavenly intervention is very much wanted that you're guided and you're intuitively sensing what's enough for now but not to hesitate or um, avoid it because it's a natural very beautiful and you want to bring some um, real spiritual um, reverence to it so that it's respected in her life and there's no sense of this is bad and wrong and I shouldn't be talking about it because you just don't want to attach any shame to it. I had to teach when I was a young high school teacher. I was in my early 20s and one of the courses I taught was family sciences and one of the units that I had to teach was um, sexual human sexuality. I had to teach about to a group of high school kids about all of the anatomy of men and women and all of the um, correct references and names and the whole um, progression of uh, of parents having intercourse and how um, children are born to labor and delivery, just the whole thing. I taught the whole entire thing and it really put me in a situation where I had to learn to speak to this in a way that was informative, educational, and respected then by those I was teaching. And that's what you want to create. Notice your own triggers around this. Because our parents, it's pretty typical that parents have not done a good job with this. I know I came from a background from my era that you didn't talk about these things. And I remember there was one brief conversation when I was 12 years old. And apparently my mother didn't do a very good job at what she was um, sharing with me because she says my response to what she had told me was, I have to do that. And then she made fun of that through the years. She would just kind of jokingly say, yeah, when I taught Carol about that, this is her, she's, she, she should have never, that was shaming to me. That was inappropriate that she would even have that um, follow up, you know, would make fun of it in a way. And then my husband, I think there was a five-minute conversation um, the week before we got married, and it wasn't even anything specific. It was just alluding to something, you know. And it's just, 
this is something I've really personally been committed to is um, having a healthy sexuality. And there's so much we can do as parents to raise our children to have a healthy, uh, just to have a confident perception of their sexual, um, who they are on, on their who their sexuality that that's a beautiful thing and we want to treat it with respect and we want to you know the world is just filled with this crazy exploitation of it even still the way women are depicted in the media i just think man carl's junior someone needs to talk to their marketing department because they sell hamburgers is this with this sexual orient um orientation to it because of the way they depict women in these commercials and I'm just like I remember recently watching one of their more current commercials and it was just exploiting a woman and making it overly sexual and it was a hamburger not even healthy for you and I just said you know I just hope if Carl's Jr's doesn't become more accountable to honoring women then I hope they go out of business because they just, it's like, hello, it's time. It's not appropriate to demean anyone or to, to um, use our bodies in that reference. We know better. And as a parent, ask to be guided, be led by the spirit to know what's appropriate. Notice your own What's your energy around it? What's your emotion around it? Can you do it in a way that it's loving and respectful and spiritual and there's a reverent quality to what you're saying? Do you know the physical, the anatomy of the um, correct names of male and female anatomy to then just teach it from that, you know, what is more of without any of the slang and the, the... the references, I mean, the birds and the bees thing, you know, I know you said that, but, um, and that's a common reference. I don't think that's too harmful, but again, we want to, we want to teach our children to honor their bodies, honor and respect other people's bodies and make healthy choices with their sexuality based on the value systems that you're guiding them with, you know, and I believe I was able to successfully do that because if I was teaching young teens in my early 20s about this, um, the whole evolution of our, you know, the, from meeting someone and coming into a relationship and, and being sexually active and conceiving and the whole process of um, conception and into labor and delivery, I certainly was equipped now to teach my own children. And I was able to do that. I'm grateful for that because I, I wanted I was really committed to creating something much healthier than what I had experienced. And they moved into their adult relationships with a lot of confidence. They had the values that we had hoped that they would make their choices by. Because again, we didn't make them feel shameful if they didn't. That we helped them see the the blessing and the benefit of making those choices rather than the fear, instilling fear in them to go against those values and which was to, you know, in our case, our children 
were choosing to um, wait until the, to be sexually active till they were married, just as I had done. And, and again, that was their choice, but we taught them in a way that we, we hoped that would be their choice. And again, that they understand that other people have different choices. We didn't make our value system superior to someone else's. It's really interesting because when we moved to Utah in 1990. One, I knew I was coming into a demographic that didn't have the diversity I had grown up with and the experience of understanding people, dif- different ethnic uh, ethnicities and religious orientations and um, different cultures within our own uh, country. And I made an effort to make sure our children were introduced to different l- people's lifestyles and that they had different values and we could respect that and love them. And uh, one of my dearest friends for the last 17 years is gay and she had been in and I in the my children were still home and we needed to hire babysitters to stay with them when we go out of town. I trusted this woman and her partner so much. I love her dearly. She's still a dear friend. I actually hired them to come. My husband and I hired them to come tend our children while we traveled and and again, I wanted my children not, I, you know, I didn't hold those fears that somehow I'm going to influence my children and doing something that's not what I would want for them. I trusted that as I, what we did and we did in a place of love and honor of other people, my intention was, I want, you know, it's really important that we open our hearts to all people and we love people and it's that we choose what's correct for us and we live our lives by example and if that is correct for others that we can support them in that but it's our opportunity to to be um, kind and loving and gracious to all people and so I was able to succeed in their developing years to introduce them to people of different ethnicities and value systems and and they're all good people they were people that were kind and safe and and respected our family you know, I wasn't bringing in the somebody I, you know, there wasn't a risk involved. I wasn't introducing, you know, leaving my children in situations where um, they were at risk, you know. I had the good common sense to know that I was dealing with quality people and that they loved my children. So thanks for those questions. Um, you know, that's something you're going to have to just really invite guidance on. And the steps that I shared to, to, you'll know what to do and you'll have a very beautiful experience with that. And what will be wonderful is, you know, in the time in which we live, things get introduced to children much sooner than we might like, but we want to be the first ones to influence that, the, the developing perceptions they acquire about these more intimate topics. So you definitely want to follow your promptings. Because it might be sooner than you would have thought, just because there's just a prevalent exposure to these things, and kids then tell other kids, and it it comes up, and you want to be the one guiding that experience so that they develop that dational experience and perception and reference to themselves and this experience life with you being the primary influence. And as you do that, as they develop. They, you build a trust about intimate topics that they feel they are safe to talk to you about. They don't feel 
intimidated by that or nervous about it. They feel a confidence that these are intimate subjects. And you can even teach that to say these are more private matters that are meant to be discussed with, you know, parent to child, not child to child or friend to friend. And I want you to know you can come to me at any time and inquire and ask and share what you're experiencing. Because if you show forth any intimidation about it, embarrassment about it, fear about it, shame about it, your child won't feel they can come to you. And as they move into their early teen to teenage years, and they're now, you know, getting involved with other people more intimately, you want to be able, you want, you want to be their confidant. You don't want their friends to be. You really want to be that person they seek out and say, you know, I'm struggling with this right now, or this is what's up for me, and, and will you help me? Um, to again, you know, one of the principles that many of my followers know, because this comes more from my, it was a saying that became popular in the religious community I'm a part of, that if you teach children correct principles and let them govern themselves, and you do it from a place of love, that they will follow the light, that they will follow truth, and they will seek to do you know, kind of seek to to do what um, you know what what comes from a place of love. But when we try to instill a practice and a life choice out of fear and shame, they have to retract that. They have to come back at that because they're trying to be free of the shame and the fear. They're trying to get rid of that. That that be the compelling feeling that drives their choices. You don't want that to be what drives their choices. You want what stills their desire for goodness to be from a place of love. And you can certainly um, develop that over the years. So here's a question on a little different topic. Um, it's Carol, I'm a type 3 mom. On your blog, you talk about type 4 children being all or nothing and very hard to persuade once they have made up their minds. I'm facing this with my type 4 20-year-old son um, on serving a mission, and it's common in the Mormon faith that a, a child, give me a, I had three of my five children, well, I actually had four of them, because my oldest daughter um, was volunteered to serve in a very special capacity in what was called a performance mission in a historical site um, called Nauvoo, Illinois, then my other three children elected on their own, again, they were, we supported them, but there was no you need to do this, you better do this. There was no sense of forcing them. They were raised to to be shown that as a great opportunity and it's something we would support them in and they made the choice to go. And typically they go, um, young men go for two years and young ladies go for 18 months. And my oldest son went to Thailand, my daughter went to Bulgaria, and my next son went to Slovenia. So they went to some very... Uh, far away and remote places, at least from where we lived. Remote meaning not close to home. And they, they had a beautiful experience, and they grew so much. It was one of the most amazing things they could have experienced at that time in their life. And it was a very positive experience for them. Very hard, very challenging. Uh, very, very challenging countries to be in. Very different. So back to the question. I wanted to set that up, though, because I know... 
Um, I have a variety of I have listeners from many life experiences. So if that was something you weren't familiar with, I wanted to make sure you knew what we were talking about here. So thank you for that, that little, uh, for kind of going off to set that up properly. So, so he left a girlfriend back home, and now she is engaged to another. My son cannot, will not let her go. He says his life is ruined, dreams gone, everything is wasted, no one else is perfect. He has had a manifestation from God that she would be his wife, and now whatever God says is a lie to him. I'm looking for suggestions on how to speak to him about this. I've used words such as stubborn. He just isn't shifting his line of focus, and now he wishes he never served his mission because it ruined his life. I get email after email where he dumps his dark, dark emotions just looking for clarity or direction or how to speak to him so he feels honored and shift his line of thinking. Okay, so I'm going to back you way up before uh, this played out where I would say, why did he get so emotionally invested in this young lady? Because when a young man at that age hooks so deeply into, this is codependency at its best, this is I need someone to this person in my life so I feel loved and valued. This is just just kind of screaming codependency. So I, I'm going to be a little bit um, mom, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to really look at yourself. I'm going to ask you to really be honest here because what needs were not being met by mom and dad? that this young man, your son, now depended so heavily on this female in his life for making up the difference, for giving him a sense of, I count, I'm loved, I'm valued. That needs to happen with mom and dad. When mom and dad do not adequately meet a child's emotional needs, and I say adequately because you're going to miss some things. You can't do it perfectly. But if you can get 70, 80% of that, you have now set your child up to be confident, to move into relationships with more wholeness, more of themselves intact, and be able to maneuver breakups and deal with them in a less dramatic way where there's some sadness and possibly disappointment and but I they don't it doesn't attack their the core of themselves it doesn't affect their the stability of I'm a valuable human being and I have a wonderful life but I'm go, I'm grieving the loss of this relationship see that's what it should look like that's that's reasonable that's a healthy uh, that's a child that has emotional stability because mom and dad have shown up emotionally. So what is it that this son was not supported in emotionally as a type 4 son that he then put so much emotional energy on this one person? I did this myself. I did this. It was interesting because I had such a deep father wound, meaning my father did not even get close to meeting my, supporting my emotional development. I was deeply wounded by my father with various occurrences of my childhood so that I was incredibly needy by the time I hit my high school and college years because what will happen is we'll transfer subconsciously the role of who, when we're not getting that met from our parents, especially in my case, my father, 
will subconsciously transfer the that who will fix that will be a boyfriend or a girlfriend in my case I subconsciously transferred that role now that that a boyfriend would be the one to validate me to recognize my value as a female to take care of the unmet emotional needs that my father did not um, successfully contribute to my experience as his daughter and I was set up for this so I remember um, I did this whole you know write somebody while they're on their mission this is the person I'm going to marry um, I was so sure of it and that was because I had <laughs> quite honestly looking back now I had so little confidence of my value as a female and I you know if you've done any of my dressing your truth um, resources and read my book discover your type of beauty you know I believed I was unattractive I was very I did not believe I was an attractive young lady I thought I was ugly I was ugly and fat and beneath that beneath that I'm going to marry this person was I'm scared if I don't marry him no one will want me that was the real truth now that I have the awareness I have that's why I put so much into this is the person I'm going to marry because I was scared if I didn't no one would ever want me I was so desperate for validation and acceptance well it fell apart while he same thing same story didn't it, it uh, broke off you know I, I got dumped basically and I fell apart I was devastated uh, it brought up so much emotional pain and now I know it wasn't about him it was the fact that I didn't I didn't have a father that cherished me a father that treated me like I was special so I wanted the boyfriend to do that for me and now I know I've healed those wounds I've healed those father wounds so my question to you is what emotional needs have you been have been neglected in your son's life that he's now playing out the story and thinking it's about his ex-girlfriend when it's really about his mom and dad and that's really he's he's not able to tell you that because it's subconscious he doesn't know it he thinks it's about the girlfriend but it never is you don't have that kind of deep emotional processing about um, that all goes back to childhood and I'd invite you to listen to my CD healing your childhood issues that you can find at caroltuttle.com and also um, clear your clearing your birth energies that's a CD as well because there could be some old residue from his birth and some there's some kind of rejection thing going on here where has he experienced rejection early in his life is this a family pattern is this generational but this be he's running this huge um, emotional response to that he's been rejected and so what's happening is triggering all this deep emotion that then he's falsely interpreting as it's ruined my life. He's make he's not getting to the core issue. And so your opportunity is to start asking what do we need to know as parents? You're trying to fix this experience. You got to go past that. You got to go deeper. You got to go um, to what it's really about. And 
ask for insight, ask for inspiration, and maybe you need to show up and, and be honest with him and say, I realize I, I didn't support you in the way I needed to. I didn't know. I didn't know how. And this is just one more rejection in your life. And, yeah. Oh, I, you know, I'm just giving you some, some tips here, but you'll know what to say. But make it really see what it's really about. And another question. Hi, I'm a type 1 mom of seven kids. The question is about a conflict I'm having with my type 3 secondary 112 year old daughter. I have homeschooled my children all their lives until this year. I feel burned out and I've gotten through burnout before. But recently I felt it was right to enroll my children in public school. My 12 year old siblings have all been enrolled. 12 year old siblings. Okay, so all the other kids. This makes the house a quiet, still place. My 12-year-old has been increasingly unhappy and vocal about it. She's unhappy with me and complains about me asking her to do too much, but then also that that there aren't there isn't enough activity. I simply don't feel I have it in me to keep going and really want to enroll her so she doesn't fall behind. She is adamant that she will not go to public school, but I feel done with homeschooling. What support can I give her? How can I work with these circumstances in a way that honors her and helps her to be happy and have fun. Well, your type 3 daughter, type 3 one daughter. You know, I don't know how you've talked about public school through the years and and how you've influenced her opinion of it. Um, it's not uncommon that people that homeschool have strong opinions um, that are not always supportive to public school. So I don't know if you've had or she's been around that kind of talk or you've influenced her perception of public school and now she thinks it's something that's, you know, I'd ask her, why don't you want to go to public school? I, you know, what, 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 you're adamant, you say she's adamant, why, conversation? Why don't you want to go? Why do you want to stay homeschooling? Um, Why are you telling me then you're bored? Why are you so upset? Because it doesn't appear that you're happy. Now listen to her and don't, when she gets honest with you, don't counter it. Don't come back with something. Don't try and fix it. Just gather the information. Let her know she can talk and be heard. And then say thank you for sharing that. What do you think we should do? Let her give you some insight, you know. She's old enough. You really want to start developing that kind of communication with her now. I'd be interested to hear be interesting to um hear what she has to say. I'd be curious myself. All right, this is a little bit of a longer question, but I'm I'm um grateful for these questions. We are about a week away from being certified foster parents. We have three kids of our own, type one six year old, three seventeen month old. I'm a type 2, my husband is a type 4. We are accepting sibling groups of two kids between the ages of 0 to 6 years. I'm having a hard time finding straight answers about how to calmly and lovingly deal with an out-of-control child. I'm expecting that there will be some extreme behaviors exhibited by those kids coming into our home. And I want to be able to be sure I'm doing everything I can to protect my other children, heal the foster child, and teach them healthy interactions with people. Specifically, what do you do when they're flailing and hitting you or others. By law, I can't, by law, I can't 
close them in a room to calm down. I suppose I could close myself in my room, but I think my running away would send them the wrong message. Physically restraining them means three pages of paperwork for me, and I imagine a step back in our relationship, so I'd like to avoid that if all possible. Though I realize it may be necessary, I want to note that these expectations are based specifically on how I feel about the children that will be coming to my home. I don't assume all foster children will have all of these issues. Also, I'm familiar with the emotion code and tapping, and I can muscle test successfully, so I have high hopes of helping them adjust well in the long run. I'm mostly concerned about weathering the first week or two together. Okay, my feedback to you is your type 2 mind is going into a flow. It doesn't need to go. You're going to create what you don't want by your fear of it happening. And where you focus your energy, you manifest the experience. Read my book, Remembering Wholeness. You may have already done that, but it would be important for you to understand why are you wanting to create this. I know you don't, but you're anticipating as if it will happen. And in that anticipation, you have such a strong energy on it you're more likely to have it happen. You're going to then materialize the kids that have these issues and patterns just to make yourself right. And it's not necessary. I was a foster parent. Um, Our youngest son is adopted, and he was in in, I took the foster parent trainings. And, um, yeah, it's going to be challenging. But then you also want to give you some feedback on your reference that you want to heal them. It's not your job. It's not your job to heal these kids. It's your job to give them a safe place to live, to learn some normalcy in their life. I wouldn't even start focusing on healing their emotional stuff. And their, you know, I was a little too assertive and aggressive in that. And my type 3 nature got ahead of myself. And I really put that upon myself to think that was my job because here I am, you know, I'm this well-known energy healer. I'm going to help heal this kid's background. He wasn't interested. He wasn't ready it, it wasn't time. I, I, I should have just decided it was great. He could expect breakfast and dinner and some, you know, normalcy and communication, that, that that would be healing, that I didn't need to do all this healing work with them. I'd recommend you just, yeah, they're not looking for that. They're looking for a safe place to start to feel like the world so they can form a perception of the world that somebody cares about me. That's more, that's healing. So I'd really caution you about going there. Yeah, and you're going to, you're going to overwhelm yourself. I mean, that's not why you're, you know, that's not part of the foster parent agreement. So don't go beyond what they're asking you to do. It's just, it's not necessary and you're not, you're, you need to, you know, I, I encourage you to, I don't want to say you need to do anything. You do it, you do what's right for you. But I would invite you to consider that just providing a loving, safe environment where people are kind and caring is going to be profoundly healing. You don't need to get into their stuff. You know, looking back, it probably would have been better if I chilled out on that and just said, you know, it's good enough this young man has a nice warm bed to sleep in. I don't need to heal his abandonment issues. <laughs> so, or help him heal. Because quite honestly, you're not doing any of the healing. It's between uh, the individual and God. You know, anything I do in my work with people, because I still do coaching sessions with people, healing sessions, I'm not healing them. I'm facilitating a process that supports healing to occur. 
So, uh, one more question. Thanks for tuning in today. It's been great to have everybody here. It says, I'm a type 2 mom, and I have three children, 4, 2, and 6 months. My 4-year-old daughter is a type 1, 3, or 3, 1. I am still trying to figure her out. She is very social and full of ideas, which makes me lean toward being a type 1. But she is also extremely competitive, which is, of course, type 3. My question has to do with her competitiveness. She not only loves being first, but she has to be first, or she is on the floor sobbing, having a major meltdown. She also likes to do things better than others and likes to point out point out to them that what she is doing is better. Her two-year-old type 2 brother, who used to not care about being first, now knows that being first is a big deal. So he competes with her. First to be unbuckled from the car seat, first to get a treat, etc. And fighting ensues. I'm happy that she likes to become com- she likes to be competitive and is driven, but how do I help diffuse her major disappointment when she's not first? And how do I help her understand what she doesn't have to be the best at everything and can enjoy other successes and efforts while not squashing her competitive nature? Well, I think you're on the right track as a mom. I think what's um, probably a little intimidating is how much she, how big her energy is. And your energy as a type 2 mom is more subtle. You don't want the outbursts. You may have been agreeable to letting her be first, kind of then sending the message to the sibling that, yeah, it's really important to be first, you know, so now they're vying for this because you've kind of gone along with it to dispel the um, and try and manage your, the whole outburst where you, you just don't want to do that because then that's sending a message to the other child that you value this and it's okay and so now he wants that position that you got to learn how to deal with her outbursts that, hey, you know, she's, again, I I remind type 2 parents, you got to be more direct, more willing to kind of get in their face and just say, you're not first. That's okay. Get over, you know. And we're not going to tolerate that behavior, you know. You can choose to get up and uh, join the rest of the family, or you can choose to, you know, some consequence. Uh... What are you going to choose right now? Make a choice. Come on. You know, you just, you've been, I think, probably fairly, you just, she's getting away with some things that you need to learn to step it up um, and really deal with it and, not, and, and set some boundaries around it, that this is not okay. This behavior is not okay. And letting her win to dispel the behavior is not supportive either. And then... Um, you say she is, you're four years old. What could she do that would have some kind of competitive quality to it? What could she be enrolled in? What could she be participating in where she's applying herself? You know, I play a lot of tennis, and I know they start, they have a, a really great program now for small children in tennis. Where can she do something where she's, counting points and earning something and progressing so that her competitive energy is applied to something. So look into that. I don't know where you're at or where you live, but what could she do to make, uh, reinvest that energy? So, well, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you caught last week's blog post, What's a birthing doula, What a Birthing Doula Can Do to Support Each Type of Mom. I had my good friend, Melissa Chapel on the Child Whisper blog. And she was also, we featured her, she, she was featured on both blogs in the same week. She's also on the Carol blog, What You Should Be Eating Before Your Period and During Menopause with Melissa Chapel. 
So go to thechildwhisper.com and carol thecarolblog.com and enjoy those posts. And remember to like us on Facebook forward slash the child whisperer. And thank you for liking the child whisper podcast. And thank you for joining me today for the podcast, whether you're listening live or to the recording. And until next time, create a wonderful week with your amazing family. As a teacher, healer, speaker, best-selling author of The Child Whisperer, and mother of five children, Carol Tuttle is honored to help you take the power struggle out of parenting and better understand the children in your life. If you'd like Carol to answer your question, call in next time or email your question to parenting at liveyourtruth.com. Carol invites you to learn more about the four types of children at thechildwhisperer.com and connect with her at thecarolblog.com. If you haven't read The Child Whisperer yet, get your copy through the Child Whisperer website and enjoy happier, more successful, more cooperative children. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.